Last week, we left off in the message looking at David in Psalm 78. If you recall, I was speaking about being a man after God's own heart, which means to think and to feel like God. That doesn't mean that you can be God by any means, but you can think and feel towards certain things like God thinks and feels. And this is, this is a matter of perspective, okay? David had a different perspective on many things. And if you recall, you know, David did not lead a perfect life. David did not always do the right thing. But in terms of his general mindset, in terms of how he was founded, he had an accurate view of the kingdom of God, of the heart of God. And he thought and felt towards certain things like God did. So we looked at Psalm 78, and we'll begin reading there in verse 67. And as you look to verse 67, remember that Psalm 78 is a great historical recap of the nation of Israel. And it's leading up to the appointment or the anointing of David as the king. But you get some great history about them being captive in Egypt and then being led out by God and so forth. And in verse 67, this is after the time of the judges. This is when God begins to set up a king over his nation, which, by the way, that's what the people ask for now. You know, God did not ordain that in the sense of the, the people are the ones that wanted that. And so God said, okay, well, if you're going to do that, well, then this is how to do it. So remember, Saul was appointed as the first king, and he was a complete flop. He was not a man after God's own heart. He did not think and feel towards the administration of God's kingdom like God did. And so God removed him and set up David. And we pick up in verse 67, where we left off last week. Moreover, he, God, refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. Notice the language of the choosing. But chose the tribe of Judah. The Mount Zion, which he loved, that's where Jerusalem was located. And he, God, built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth, which he had established forever. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes great with young, he brought him, David, to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he, David, fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands." And if you recall, we mentioned last time about how while the Lord is over here looking for a man after his own heart, at the same time, the political scene was in upheaval. It was terrible. You've got King Saul over here who is disobeying God, who is not doing what God tells him to do, and he's just in, in flagrant disobedience. And at the same time, God in his sovereignty is looking around the nation to find a man after his own heart. <laughs> Again, I remind you, don't forget, this is not God looking for somebody who within themselves can just work it up and be you know, a child of God or be something that they could never be without God. You know, Notice David was chosen. You see that? He's a chosen child of God. Not only was he chosen to be king, but he was a chosen, elect child of God who already had the Spirit of God in his heart. Do you really think that God would look upon some wicked reprobate, say a guy like Nabal, who was just wicked and mean, and say, oh, well, there's, there's a good guy that could lead my kingdom. 
You see, you got to remember that this man, David, is already a child of God. I mentioned to you last time that he was born again when he was just a toddler. He says that in the Psalms. So this is not a matter of somebody becoming a child of God. This is a matter of a child of God who is using what God has given them. That's what this is about. Saul was a child of God. David was a child of God. Look at how Saul is not using the opportunity that God has given him or the faith that God has given him. And over here is David, and the Lord finds him in an interesting place using what God has given him. You know, one of the things about David, and one of the things for us as men, as women, as children, whatever we may be, when we feel a sense and when we latch on to a sense of a higher purpose for our lives, it makes all the difference in the world for your life. There's so many people living for themselves, and in the culture that we're in, from Facebook to Twitter to all whatever's out there on the social media, it's all about you. You know, that's what that is fostering. Look at me, look at what I'm doing. Look, I'm not saying that it's wrong to post on Facebook. I'm not saying that it's a sin to do that. You understand? I'm not saying that. So don't go away saying, well, it's a sin to do that. But think about how that entire mechanism is a focus for self, pretty much. You know, like if you want to tell what you've got going on, which in some senses that's okay. But you think about all the very popular Hollywood figures or sports figures that have these great followings. I'm telling you, it's all about them. How many followers do you have? How many people can you get looking at you? And so forth. The culture that we live in, from the social media to many other things, just helps us to focus on self. But if you'll focus on a higher purpose, a higher glory, I'm going to do what I do for the glory of God. And yes, if you do post, if you do put something on the social media, you know, can I do this for the glory of God? That's a question that we ought to ask ourselves. I often ask myself, can I do this? Or is this for the glory of Tim? Is that how it would come across for the glory of Tim? Or would it come across for the glory of God? And I'm just telling you personally, a lot of times, that, that means I don't post. I think this is just going to be about my glory. This is just going to be kind of making me look cool, you know? That's the reason that I don't. I'm not saying that, that you should never post again. Because I like seeing some of the stuff that, that some of you post. It keeps me updated. It lets me know what's going on. It, now look... <laughs> There can be, you know, TMI on sometimes when people post. I'm not talking about anybody here, but you, you've all seen it. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe they posted that personal information. <laughs> or maybe here's a Matthew 18 situation where a person ought to go to another person and they're blasting them on social media. See, all that is self-focused. It's relieving self. When we latch on to a higher purpose for our life, you say, well, can it be any higher purpose? Can it be, you know, the, like maybe a 12-step program higher purpose? Or can it be a higher purpose, you know, because I'm a Buddhist or a Muslim? Or Listen, there's only one God, and it's God, Jehovah. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God. And the only higher purpose that is possible is for the glory of the higher purpose of God in heaven. And I believe, I know that David had a sense of that, even as a small boy, as a very young boy. So here we have a terrible scene in politics. Does any of this ring a bell? You know, you got this terrible scene in the government, in politics, and God's eye is down here on the hills of Judea in Bethlehem, Judah, looking at a probably a 13, 14, maybe 15-year-old boy, young man, and seeing what he's doing. And as God is disgusted with the way that King Saul is not being a man after God's own heart, he sees this young boy, this young man, following the ewes, the female sheep that are great with young. 
following the sheep that are expecting baby lambs. In the Matthew Henry commentary, I really like this, where it says that he chose David, he found David. Matthew Henry commentary says, finding implies seeking, that God was seeking, as if God had ransacked all the families of Israel to find a fit man. I like that imagery that's given there, that the Spirit of God was ransacking the, the families of Israel is there one here? Is there one in this house? Is there one in that house? Until he comes to Bethlehem, Judah, and he finds the house of Jesse. And he looks out on the hills, and there's this young man, practically a boy, who is out there taking care of what his father has put him in charge of. Isn't that a beautiful picture? David, as you, as you know, was anointed probably at age 14, 15, or 16. I mentioned that he was a cunning player on the, the psaltery or the harp. Writer of the Psalms. Now let me ask you this, and don't raise any hands, but how many of you men went home last week after the sermon and began to search for your Psalms so you could express that to your wife? I don't see any hands. I told you not to raise your hand. But as I said last week, there's no better way for you to learn to express yourself than to find the Psalm that fits what you're going through. And I'm talking about emotionally. If you're angry, there's a psalm for that. If you're righteously angry, there's a psalm for that. If you're depressed, there's a psalm for that. If you're frustrated, there's a psalm for that. If you're, if you're down in the dumps and, and you just can't see any light, there's a psalm for that. There's a psalm for every situation that you could possibly ever come up with when it comes to your feelings. And David, the man after God's own heart, was able to express his feelings. And he didn't, he, he, he was a man that, I mean, I'm not saying he was perfect at all, but in the Psalms, you'll see that he would express himself if he was angry. He would express himself if he was depressed. He would express himself if he was frustrated. He would express himself on the spectrum of emotions. And it always came back to the Lord. <laughs> he said, I want to know how to deal with my emotions. I want to know how to express my emotions. I've never been able to do that. Look to the Psalms. And that's what David was. He was the, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David tended and fed the sheep. He cared for the sheep of God. And his dad had put him in charge of taking care of these sheep. He did not seek his own glory. Whose sheep were those sheep? You understand? Those were Jesse's sheep. Those were his, it says, his father's flocks. So here is, the, is David, the son of Jesse, taking to heart the will of his father. Does this ring a bell at all? Does this point us to another man that's going to come down the road through the line of David where he came to do the will of his father and he cared for the sheep of his father because the sheep had been given to him. And in the sense of David being out there taking care of the sheep, these sheep of Jesse, they, they had been given to David to care for. That's a lot of trust right there, is it not? John 7 and 18, Jesus said... He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. You see, even the Son of God came not to seek his own glory, but to seek the glory of another. And here we have David, who is out there on the hills of Judah, seeking the glory of his own father Jesse. What a lesson for him to learn. There was a great contrast between Saul and David. I've already mentioned some of it, but you think about 
the striking contrast between the humility of David and the self-preservation mentality of Saul. You know, Saul loses his nerve whenever Samuel says, wait, I will make a sacrifice when I get there before you go into battle. Saul loses his nerves. He's self-preserving. And so he just goes on and does it himself. So he just didn't have the patience. You may think ahead whenever Saul uh, was told by Samuel to go and destroy an entire city, an entire nation there. Don't leave anything alive. And Saul lost his nerve. And the next thing you know, you've got Saul explaining to Samuel again, well, you know, the people, the people wanted to keep this and wanted to keep that. <laughs> so you see, Saul had self-preservation in his heart and in his mind. And that's something that goes against the will of God. Now, David had a reckless abandon on behalf of God's glory. I want you to think about that. He had a reckless abandon. I don't, I'm not saying that he was foolish and reckless. I don't mean that. But he was so intent on the glory of God that he went to some great extremes that we'll look at here in a few examples in just a moment. But he had reckless abandon. Let me tell you something. Sisters, young sisters looking for a, a spouse one day, if you find a man who has reckless abandon for the glory of God, that's somebody you better hang on to. You know, somebody that, that is intent, that is set on doing things for the glory of God. That's how David was. Even as a, as a young man, very young man. The contrast between Saul and David, Saul being self-preserving, holding back, trying to prevent losing face, and David going to such extremes that it's just unbelievable the things that he does. Saul was willful and independent, and David was faithful and obedient. I love a quote, and I quote from him occasionally from Robert E. Lee, the great general from the 1800s. One of the quotes from Robert E. Lee was, I cannot trust a man to control others who cannot control himself. That's a great quote, isn't it? I cannot trust a man to control others who cannot control himself. And Saul could not control himself. You see? Think about how crude and how rude Saul was. If you read on in the book of Samuel, you'll see where Saul insulted Jonathan, his son. And not only did he insult Jonathan, his son, you know, Jonathan was a best friend, a close friend to David. Not only did he insult Jonathan, his son, but he also insulted Jonathan's mother. He says something very crude and rude about Jonathan's mother, his own wife. <laughs> you see, he was a crude and a rude man. And is that not the culture that we live in today? Just crudeness and rudeness and vulgarity. It's just, it just rules the day. Crass and... You know, listen, we're not talking about, you know, Robert's Rules of Order or some book of etiquette. We're not talking, we're talking about the Word of God where it says evil communication should not come out of our mouth. You see, and we're living in just a vulgar, crude, and rude time. <laughs> Look, this kind of puts it in perspective. My grandmother McCool, she would blush whenever somebody used the word pregnant. She would, she would not use that word. Some of you back there, I see you nodding. Your, your mothers and grandmothers were the same way. Now, you know, again, that's, that's not a word that's taboo this day and time. But years and years ago, that was a word that you just didn't, hear, you didn't hear it used that much, if, if at all, except in medical you know, terminology. So you think about how things like that, where my grandmother would blush over using such a word, I think about she would roll over in her grave if she saw 
you know, half of the stuff that's out there today that's just, it's just crude and it's rude and it's vulgar. That's the way Saul was. He was just, a, just an average, ordinary man in the sense of he talked and acted just like the rest of them. See, that's, God is calling, God is ransacking the houses of God's people to find young men and young women like David who have a heart towards God, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart. Think about it. Matthew Henry commentary again says this, God advanced David to the throne that he might feed them, not that he might feed himself, that he might do good, not that he might make his family great. It is the charge given to all the under shepherds, magistrates, and ministers that they feed the flock of God. And this is the quote where he says, finding implies seeking as if God had ransacked all the families of Israel to find a man fit. Y'all understand that's God's heart towards our society, our culture today. God looks for men and women who are after his own heart. So the question is, is, is our heart towards God? Do we think and feel towards certain things like God thinks and feels? Notice the zeal that David had. What else could have led David onto the battlefield to face a 14-foot-tall giant who was cursing and belittling the, the nation of Israel? What else would have led him out there? He had to have a zeal for God. It wasn't fear that led him out there, right? It was zeal that led him out there. Now let's capture a few moments in the life of David. Let's capture a few moments. Look at 1 Samuel 17. I love the books and the movies that kind of do a time travel deal. You know, I like those. Like you'll come into a scene and they'll start talking about something that happened in the past and then they'll, it'll fade out, you know, to the past. Those are my favorite kind of scenes and, and movies and, and books <laughs> is it gives you the backstory. So that's what you have in 1 Samuel 17. You're given a little bit of a backstory to what's going on. So if you're familiar with 1 Samuel 17, the thing that dominates that particular chapter is David's showdown with Goliath. But in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, we find where there's a backstory. So if this were a movie, it would fade to a different scene and you would begin to hear David tell about something that happened in the past. So 1 Samuel 17, and look at verse 34. And this is David before King Saul. Goliath is out on the battlefield taunting and belittling the nation of Israel and nobody think about perspective now we're talking about the perspective that David had the heart that David had and David looks upon the scene when all of the other men will not go out and challenge Goliath see but David's got a different perspective and so David it gets back to Saul and Saul says they tell me that you want to go out you think you can go out and face Goliath <laughs> And so David gives Saul a little bit of a backstory, 1 Samuel 17, 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. Where did God find David? Keeping his father's sheep, right? And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. That would indicate it was probably a lion that he's referring to there. He did the same thing with the bear, but here he's specifically talking about the lion. I caught him by his beard and I smote him and slew him. That's some courage right there, isn't it? Have y'all ever seen a lion? I remember years ago when we went to uh, Tanzania. I think it was in the, the last trip I took over there with Brother David when Brother David got sick. On a Saturday, we had some time to kill, so we went to the zoo in Dar es Salaam. 
You know, I've been to lots of zoos in our country, you know, big zoos, smaller zoos, but I've never felt unsafe. I've felt a little bit of fear, you know, just looking at an alligator out there in the pond at the zoo or, you know, some lion or bear. I think, oh, man, I wouldn't want to be in there with him. But I've never felt the fear like I felt when I went to the Tanzanian Zoo in Dar es Salaam. And they got a little, a little wire up here, you know. There, there's no con- there wasn't concrete, I don't think, in that entire place. They had fences and wires, and there's, you know, leopards and all these animals. You know, I'm thinking, man, if they really wanted to get through there to me, they could. But never once did I think, well, if he does get through, I'll just grab him by the beard, you know, and punch him in the nose or, or pull out my little pocket knife, my little survival knife, and, you know, and, and start stabbing him. That's what David did. Why? He'd just say, well, I'm just going to go on a, on a nice little hunt and I'm going to get me a lion or I'm going to get me a bear. No, he did this because the lion and the bear had taken a sheep of Jesse's. And doesn't that remind you of Jesus? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ goes and punches the enemy in the face, grabs him by the beard, steps on him, destroys him to prevent the enemy from keeping any of God's sheep. You see that? That's a lot of courage for a 14, 15 year old boy to reach out there and grab a lion by the beard. And it says that he smote him. I don't know if he stuck him in the throat with a a long blade or a sword into the eye or whatever. It was probably a knife that he had, but he certainly didn't take a sling. There's no range to shoot a sling at something that close to you, that close range. You get that? So he hand-to-hand combat with this lion and this bear. You see the backstory for David? David said, King Saul, I faced things that were as bad or maybe worse than this Philistine that's out there taunting the people of Israel. Now, don't you think that in their mind, Saul and the others, you know, why do you think they gave him the armor? <laughs> They're thinking, okay, this guy's going to go hand-to-hand combat with, <laughs> with Goliath. <laughs> so let's give him some armor. Let's give him a longer sword because the, the span of, of this guy is going to be so far that David will hardly be able to get up under the span of, of Goliath's arms. See how they're thinking from their perspective? David's got a, he's got a secret, doesn't he? He's got a secret weapon. He didn't mention anything about how often he had practiced with that stone and that sling out there on the hills of Judea. He gives a backstory. On the hills of Judea, as David sat there watching over the sheep of God and the lion and the bear come and take a little lamb. Notice it was a lamb. Most shepherds would have said, oh boy, well, let's see, let's count that up. I hate to lose that little bit of money. I hate to lose out on one, but you know, I've got another 100 sheep or 99 sheep here. It'll be okay. That's the perspective of most shepherds. I'll just have to let that one go. That's a big lion. <laughs> this young man who has a zeal for God, who has a heart, You know, God saw this. Y'all understand that? God sees him out there going after the lion and going after the bear at different times. And he sees what he does. And God's smiling on that. Here is a young man who gets how I think and feel towards certain things. If he'll go after that one little sheep and lay down his life and risk his life to save that one little lamb, this is a guy that great things are going to happen for him. Y'all see that? So the other shepherds would have just let that lamb go. Most of the others. I'm not saying all of them, but most of them would have. David goes after it and saves it two times. 
So now you come back to 1 Samuel 17 and 34, and it goes on and tells you how they armed David with Saul's armor. And David said, I can't, I can't use this stuff. And don't you know they were already planning the, the little fellow's funeral <laughs> as he went out there onto the battlefield. Verse 41, it says, The Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. Can y'all imagine this great big pomp and circumstance of this, this huge giant and his little his armor bearer, you know, somebody carrying out this stuff for him. And there's little David, dressed in the shepherd's attire, walking out there with nothing but a knife and a sling in his hand. Now, how do you think all the other soldiers felt? As they're sitting there looking at that, some of them, especially his brothers, are probably going, oh my goodness, I can't watch. I just can't watch this. This is going to be horrible. And even King Saul is probably thinking, you know, this is going to be a massacre. This poor kid, he doesn't know what he's doing. I, I know he told me about the lion and the bear, but he doesn't know what he's doing. Can we say that David has a different perspective, doesn't he? David also has a secret weapon. And it's like no other secret weapon that anybody would ever envision. It's just a little simple looking stone and inside of a sling. People have speculated through the years of why David drew five smooth stones from the stream. Well, the reason I believe that he did is because Goliath had brothers. There was Goliath and there were four other brothers. If you'll read and study the Word of God, you'll find that he had four other brothers. I don't know if they were there that day, but maybe he was not only thinking, I may have to kill this. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? You know, the Lord is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. <laughs> You know, David's taking extra ammunition in case the brothers come out there and challenge him. You see that? He's ready. <laughs> and I think it's also interesting, there were only five of them, and he got five stones, right? He was pretty, pretty sure of himself, wasn't he? Why? Because he was serving a higher purpose. When he came to the battlefield, if you read the, a little bit of the backstory there, he was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of Israel? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? You see, David was, he was enamored with the name of God and the reputation of God. Who is this guy? Why were none of the other soldiers going, who is this? Or maybe they were. Maybe they were going, you know, this guy just can't keep on talking like this. I can't stand the way he's talking about our Lord. Well, are you going to go out there and face him? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you see? But David said, I'll go out there and face him. So he goes out there and he faces Goliath. And we're familiar, very familiar. It's probably one of the most popular accounts in the Word of God. And the Philistine looks about, verse 42, and sees David, and he disdained him. That means he just kind of went, huh, like that. For David was a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. This was a nice-looking young man coming out there, you know, 15, 16 years old. And the Philistine says to David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves, with a stick? Am I just a dog that you're going to come out here and chase me away with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, by the, the god, the false god Dagon. So it wasn't even printable what Goliath said here. It was so bad. He cursed him. Can we say that this was a crude and rude, filthy man? Absolutely. Crude, rude, and filthy. The farthest thing from a man after God's own heart is Goliath. He's a wicked man, and as a matter of fact, Goliath is a picture of the Old Testament Antichrist. Story for another day, but he's a picture of the Antichrist. Everything that stands against God. And here's this little nothing, as the world looks at it, standing before him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. <laughs> I can just see him with his big, gnarled, 
calloused, hairy hands, you know, come to me. This is a scene like Hollywood could never put forth here, isn't it? And David says, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee. You notice, did you see the language here? This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. See, he already had the plan in place. He, didn't, he wasn't sitting there going, well, I'll just make this up as I go along. No, he's got in his mind, God has directed his mind, I'm going to pop him in the forehead with one of these stones, and when he falls down unconscious, I'm going to cut his head off. <laughs> that's, that's almost humorous, isn't it? He's got the plan laid out. And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air. You know, Goliath said, come here and I'll feed your flesh to the fowls of the air. David said, I'm going to knock you down by the, by the grace of God, by the hand of God. I'm going to cut your head off and then I'm going to feed the flesh of the armies of the Philistines to the fowls of the air. <laughs> That's pretty bold, isn't it? This is a beautiful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me also say this. This is a side note. Now listen. We all know today that the line of Judah, of David, is where Jesus came from, right? That's where Jesus comes from. It looks like it's hanging on by a thread right here, doesn't it? It's about to be extinguished. As the world looks at it, you've got this 14-foot giant looking down at this little boy who doesn't have any armor or sword, and he's got a sling, and you look at this and you think, well, that line's done for good. <laughs> but you see, God has another plan. God has another purpose for David's life. This is not the end. This is the beginning, you see? But it looks like the end. You ever face things like that? Oh, if we could only have the attitude of David, right? When you look at something, you say, well, this is just over. There's no hope here. This is just, it's, you, know, you might look at the government. Don't you know there were people looking at the government at that time and going, it's just hopeless here. Well, God works in a different way, you see? And it looks like it's hopeless. It looks like it's over. If we look at this and say, what about Jesus? Well, this is it. David's fixing to be slaughtered. <laughs> That's not what happens. Because David thinks and feels towards certain things like God does. He's a man after God's own heart. Are you? <laughs> Are you a man or a woman or a child after God's own heart? Out there on the battlefield, David says, I'll feed. After I take your head off, I'm going to feed the flesh of the Philistine army to the fowls of the air. Of course, you know what happens there. David puts the stone in the sling, pops Goliath in the forehead, he falls down. David goes and gets up on top of Goliath, pulls out his sword and whacks off Goliath's head. And on both sides of the valley, the Philistines are over there going, huh? And the Israelites are over here going, huh? King Saul's up there going, what just happened? Go, charge, charge, charge. And guess what? The Philistine army is fed to the, their flesh is fed to the fowls of the air, just like David said. Why? Because this is a man after God's own heart. You see that? Now fast forward with me to 1 Samuel 24. You see on the hills of Judea, here was David as a small boy, as a shepherd boy, and he was feeling and thinking towards the sheep of God as God would think and feel towards his sheep. And on the battlefield, as the name of God is defamed, and the other soldiers are looking on, and they're saying, this is hopeless. You've got one little boy, shepherd boy, young man, 
who felt differently and he went and delivered the entire day. Why? Because he was thinking and feeling towards things like God does. Now you've got David as a rogue on the run. 1 Samuel 24, it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told Saul saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of Injadi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel, went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. See, they're hiding. They're rogues. They're just vagabonds hiding, trying to stay away from Saul because Saul and his mad, incredibly insane, sinful race is trying to kill the Lord's anointed. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where there was a cave and Saul went in to cover his feet. Saul went in to take a rest. He went in to take a nap. And when he goes in, he covers himself up, takes a nap, and David and his men are in the sides of the cave hiding in the dark. <laughs> this is a terrible situation for Saul, right? So here is David as a rogue, as a vagabond, as somebody who's on the run, just living out in the wilderness. And this is a great opportunity if you're living in our modern day culture, right? This is an opportunity to slit the throat of your enemy, right? <laughs> This is where you could have everything you've been wanting. You know, God's already anointed this young man when he was 13, 14 years old. He's already slain Goliath. He's already proved himself again and again in battle. And here he is on the run, probably five or six years later, after he was on the battlefield with Goliath. And Saul is trying to kill him. And here is the perfect opportunity to slit the throat of this wicked king, this guy who's living and, and just squandering what God has given him. He could just slit his throat. The men of David said unto him, verse 4, Behold, the day which the Lord said unto thee. They even incorporated Scripture into this, right? But remember, David's got a different perspective. Y'all hear me? The men of, that belong to David, they're whispering in the sides of the cave. They said, listen, listen, this is it. This is, this is the day God told you about. God said, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, and thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. You see, and for just a minute, David kind of gets caught up in the moment. Don't we do that? We just kind of get caught up in the moment, the rush. And so David creeps over to where Saul is laying there under his blanket, probably snoring. He's sleeping fitfully there, has no clue that potential death is upon him. By the way, that's what sin does for us when we don't fashion our lives as men and women and children after God's own heart. Sin, calamities just creep up. Calamities are going to happen anyway. But calamities really creep up on us when we're not living and serving in a way that honors God. It just catches us. Calamities should not catch us off guard because we live in a fallen world. They're disturbing. And I'm not saying, oh, can't wait till the next one. I don't mean that. But look at Saul. He is laying in a cave, covered up, snoozing, sleeping, and his death is just hovering over him, potentially. David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. So he went and he lifted up a little piece of what, what Saul was covering up with, the royal robe. And he took his knife and he cut a little piece of it off. He had a, I don't know that David was ever going to slit Saul's throat. But at the encouragement of his men, it looked like he was going to. I don't think in the heart of David, maybe he was never going to do that. But at least when he gets over there, all he does is he picks up the skirt, the blanket, or the robe that Saul was covered up in. He cuts a little piece of it off and stuffs it in his pocket. Goes back into the sides of the cave. He said, well, what's the lesson there? The lesson there is that David thinks and feels towards the kingdom of God like God thinks and feels. Saul was still on the throne. 
And regardless of what David's men say, this is the day, this is the time when God told you that you'd conquer your enemies. David understands there's some things that I need to leave in God's hands. You see that? If God wants Saul removed, the blood does not have to be on David's hand. So several times, this is not the only time, David has, ha has opportunities to remove Saul himself. But the Lord said, I will remove him. See? So David didn't get the blood of Saul on his hands. The anointing of God. <laughs> that ought to be a great lesson for us in terms of understanding the heart of God. You know, in my life, maybe in your life, maybe you've had ministers or maybe you've had people in your life that have greatly impact you, you know, in, in terms of preaching and teaching and such. And then you find out, well, they've got some terrible character flaw. I, I've got news for you. All ministers of God have terrible character flaws. It's called the nature of Adam. But maybe something comes out and, you know, this person was, you know, maybe they were an alcoholic or something, you know, while they're up there in the stand preaching about, you know, don't drink and, you know, or moderation or whatever. Or even worse things than that. You know, maybe they're up there preaching about, you know, being faithful in your marriage and not giving in to temptation and abiding by your covenant and all this type of stuff. And then, you know, I've told you before that ministry watch email that I'm on that every couple days there's some scandal related to some mega church or something like that. You know, even though Saul was acting like a complete fool, he's still God's anointed king. You see that? And David knows that. And David has great respect for that. So he won't touch him. He withholds himself from touch. Here's the point of all that. You need to dig a little deeper when it comes to having the perspective of God. When everybody's looking at this situation and said, well, we got this figured out. It might be politics. It might be government. It might be family issues. It might be whatever. Well, we got this all figured out. A man after God's own heart is going to dig a little deeper. David said, this is God's anointed. I'm not going to touch him. I'm going to let God handle that. A man after God's own heart will understand that there's some things that God will handle himself. And furthermore, <laughs> he's capable of handling anything. That's a man after God's own heart. So we see David on the hills of Judea. We see David on the battlefield. We see David in a cave as a rogue. And in 2 Samuel 1 and 6, we see David on the throne. He finally is on the throne. Saul has died. Now, there's, if you read about what happened to Saul and his armor bearer, and then you read the account of what this Amalekite comes and tells happened, it seems to be conflicting. I don't think there's any conflict here at all. I think the Amalekite that we read about right here is lying. I think he's trying to get an advantage and make himself look good. Because we see clearly what happened to Saul. He fell upon his own sword and killed himself. He committed suicide. And the armor bearer did the same thing. So in 2 Samuel chapter 1, for the sake of time, we'll look at verse 6. There's a young man that comes from the battle where Saul has killed himself. And David says, what happened? I want to know about Jonathan. I want to know about Saul. I want to know about what happened. And the young man that told him said, verse 6, As I happened by chance upon Mount Geboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear. That means he was fixing to kill himself. And lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. They're trying to capture Saul. And when he looked behind him, Saul, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered, here am I. And he said unto me, who art thou? And I said, I am an Amalekite. He's not an Israelite. And he said again unto me, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole within me. He doesn't want to be captured by the, the enemy Philistines because they would torture him. So the Amalekite says, I stood upon him, slew him, because I was sure that he would not live. After that he was fallen, and I took the crown. This young man has the crown off of Saul's head. And the bracelet that was on his arm. He took the bracelet, the kingly bracelet, off of Saul's arm. 
And I've brought them hither unto my Lord. And he lays the crown and the bracelet before David. Now the perspective of the modern politicians, leaders, dictators, officials such as that, the perspective would be, now this is great. <laughs> I didn't have to get my hands bloodied. And here's the crown. I'll take it. I'll put it on my head. Oh, I'm good to go. That's the modern mentality of those that are jockeying for position. But this is not the mentality of a man after God's own heart. Look, the power players would say, this is a great opportunity for me. David, in verse 11, took hold of his clothes and he rent them. And likewise, all the men that were with him, he was so overcome with sadness over the death of Saul and Jonathan and the others. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening. Did you catch that? They went all the way till dark. They mourned and they wept and cried. You know, I, I don't know about you if you've ever just cried your eyes out and you just didn't have any liquid left in your, I guess, in your head to cry and your tear ducts to cry. I've been there a time or two and it didn't take me three or four hours to get there. <laughs> That these guys for three or four hours, they are just mourning and weeping and, and so saddened over the condition. And this was David's enemy. Can we say that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he said to pray for your enemies and for them that despitefully use you, can we say that David was a man after God's own heart in that way? <laughs> yes, we can. David took hold of his clothes, rent them, and likewise all the men, they mourned and wept and fasted until evening and for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man, he gets up at dark after they've mourned and wept and fasted. And David looks at the young man, he says, whence art thou? Where you come from? And he said, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Did you catch that? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. You say, Whoa, that, that sounds severe. It's not severe. Here is a young man who basically lied and was trying to get ahead in life. He was taking a shortcut thinking, I'm going to be David's right hand man now that I bring the crown to him and the bracelet. And David says, out of your own mouth, you have condemned yourself. You have touched the Lord's anointed. The Lord is well capable of taking down who he wants to take down. As a matter of fact, the truth is, Saul took himself down. Is that not the sad end result of children of God who don't follow and serve and try to be a, a man or a woman after God's own heart. They, and I'm not just talking about suicide, although that I believe the suicide rate, if you see the suicide rate among Christians, is, is, is high because children of God living in conflict with their own spiritual nature, you see. But isn't that interesting? When we don't live in a way that honors God, we're going to take ourselves down. You know that? I've taken myself down many times just trying to do my own thing. You see, David, whether he was a shepherd a soldier, a rogue, or a royal, he was still a man after God's own heart. Can we say that about ourselves? To think and to feel the way that God thinks and feels about these things. He was zealous for God. He prioritized the worship of God. He was not seeking his own glory. He had a high regard for the anointed. And he said, I can't really latch on to that. <laughs> yes, you can. Christ Jesus is the anointed of God. You understand that? He is the appointed one. He is the anointed one. And we should have the highest, utmost regard for the anointed of God, the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? That's what men and women after God's own heart 
have. Psalm 15 and 1 says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. I tell you, that's a man after God's own heart. That's a person after God's own heart who will swear to their own hurt and change not. It might be someone in a marriage. They have sworn to a covenant. And hard times will come in any marriage, no matter how good it is. Hard times are always going to come. But a man after God's own heart is going to hold to his covenant, or a woman after God's own heart, they're going to hold to their covenant and not change because they made that promise. And that goes against the culture today, doesn't it? You know, if if things don't go right, I'll just get out. Aren't you glad God didn't get out? God made a covenant to be married to his children for eternity, to his bride, to his wife. And God's he swore to his own hurt, right? That's a man after God's own heart. It gives you a sense of destiny. It gives you a sense of being of a higher purpose than just you. God said of David that I have found David, a man after my own heart, and he made him a captain over his people. Let me tell you, young men, older men, when we are men and boys and young men after God's own heart, God will make you a captain over his people. He will. It might be a captain over your family. And I don't mean a captain to bark orders. That's not, you don't see David barking orders. He, he made him a captain over a family. He may make you a captain over a family. He may make you a captain over a, a church. He may make you a captain over a people. And he very well could raise a young man up to be a godly leader. You just never know. That's what he did with David. But I believe that God today, I believe God today is ransacking the families of God's children throughout the world, looking for young people, young men and women, who will be young men and women after God's own heart. That brings glory to God. And it reflects how we think and feel. And do you think and feel like God thinks and feels towards His church, towards His kingdom, towards the anointed of God? Towards the sheep of God. You see that? Oh, may we think and feel like God thinks and feels. And we'll be men and women after God's own heart. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord, has a heart for God in that way, we give you that opportunity as we stand and we sing.